you kind of want three things for your kid when they start a new experience like this, right? You want them to have a place, um, which obviously they have their classroom, but it, within that classroom, you want them to kind of fit in and be accepted and, and have their place. And then on top of that, you, you want them to act like they have some sense, right? Like you haven't just spent the past, past five years teaching them how to behave in a public place um, and then for them to like just go into their classroom and completely forget all about it. Uh, that would be like the, what I did. So, you know, I was nervous about that. I didn't want that to happen. Um, and then the, the third thing, you want them to have a whole lot of grace, right? Like we've all seen that elementary school teacher who's been teaching for like 10 years too long, you know, and they're just hate life and hate children and uh, are just like, if they had a magic wand, they'd turn them into stone type thing. And so you want a teacher who like is going to, you know, be a little bit relaxed and have a calming influence and and give them the area they need to make mistakes because they're kids and they'll make mistakes, but we want them to be able to learn and grow from that. As Christians, we can be ensured that we get those three things from God, okay? We have a place. We know that our actions will reflect those of God and of Christ. And three, we know that we are going to experience an amazing amount of grace, Okay, if your story is anything like mine, it will surprise you just how much grace. Uh, but we're going to look at Joshua chapter 2 today. I think it's a perfect illustration for this. We're looking at the story of Rahab, um, who was uh, a very unique individual in the history of the Bible. Um, let's read with me, if you will. Let's go to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 4. Uh, you can follow along in a paperback Bible like so, or on your phone, or just look at the screen because it will be there too. And this is what it has to say. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Uh, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, at some of the, Is- look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come out to spy on the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. So Rahab protects these people. Now Rahab, as I said, is an extremely unique individual in the history of the Bible. For one, Rahab was a temple prostitute for a pagan religion, okay? She's not exactly the stereotypical person you would think that God would use in a situation to bring about glory for himself or to bring about um, his cause or his purpose. And so what does this tell us? One, it tells us that you have a place. The first thing I want us to understand is that everyone has a place. God can use anyone from any background to fulfill his purpose. Okay, anyone from any background to fulfill his purpose. We all have blemishes, right? We're all not perfect. We all have things that uh, make us feel less than deserving. But we're not junk. I like to think of it like this, okay? Really, we're just kind of like antiques waiting to be refurbished and retitled. So we're not trash, we're vintage, okay? God's using our experiences, he's using our um, imperfections to help allow us to bring glory to him and, and, and to make a difference in the world because if we're perfect people in perfect situations who live perfect lives and never have anything go wrong, how can we ever relate to anybody who's in the opposite situation? So all the things in your past that you may think, hey, this prevents me from doing whatever God may want me to do, actually just makes you a perfect candidate to fulfill that purpose. 
So let's look at me, for instance. I have a history of drug abuse. I have a history of clinical depression. I have a history of, um, for lack of a better term, being an absolute moron. Okay? I, I did nothing um, for about three years other than just bring shame to what a Christian should be. The whole time claiming to be a Christian and the whole time acting like Satan. And so if we look at my past and we just judge off of that, we say there's no way he can be what God is calling him to be. I go back to my old high school sometimes, maybe for a football game on Friday night, or I run into a teacher out in public and they say, hey, what are you doing now? I'm a pastor. What? Every time. Every single, you're a pastor. I'm a pastor. You're kidding, right? No, I'm not kidding. I'm a pastor. Like, I promise. It's not a lie. Some, they're like, how? And I'm, well, God gets a hold of you and he changes you and makes you different. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of how that happened. And so we look at that and, and oftentimes that your pastor is going to be the least likely candidate that you would think of as, as, you know, the perfect person to fill a role. But if God can call someone like me to lead his church and to lead people in life, then think about what he can do with you. The answer here is, there, is, is there anything that he can't do? No. Right? No one's imperfect. No one's too far gone. Um, Rahab was a perfect example of that. She stepped out in faith in a God that wasn't her own and brought life to herself and the ones that she loved. So all it takes as individuals is for us to have a little bit of faith, to step out and say, Jesus, use me how you'd like to use me. God, use me for your glory, for your purpose, and allow him to do so. And as we're going to see later, God does amazing things. God does amazing things. Let's look at Joshua chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 through 12 this time. This is what it says. It says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did in Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, here's the important part of this. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. I'm going to go a couple of verses farther. I just read 13. I'm going to read 14. This is what they say. The, the Israelites to her. They say, Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So, they made a deal, right? They made a deal with Rahab. They said, Hey, you protect us, we'll protect you. Now, this is wartime. Okay, I've never been in war. Some of our people here have. And uh, you know it far better than I. But I would imagine that in war, 
at times to make sure that you survive and to make sure that your people survive, you'll say or do whatever you have to to make sure that that takes place. Okay, so the spies of the Israelites, they could have very easily said, you don't tell, we'll protect you. And it would have just been them two that knew that. And they could have wiped her out. But as Christians, as followers of God, it's important that our integrity stays intact. It's important that when we say we'll do something, we do it. Because our actions need to reflect that of God. God's influence in our lives leaves a trace. God's attributes, they show through His people. Okay, so if you have experience with God, you are being changed to be more like God. You may not be where you're supposed to be yet, and that's a good thing because we all know we're not perfect. We all have areas to improve, and we're just waiting on being the complete product. But as Christians, our actions have to reflect that as of Christ because we represent Christ here on earth. And so when we say something will happen, it needs to happen. That means that if you promise your wife a date night on Friday night, that date night takes place. That means that if you tell your kids, hey, if you clean your room, we get ice cream, they get ice cream. Because if they can't rely on you, even if people can't rely on you, how can they rely on God? I know it seems like a far stretch to say I didn't buy ice cream and now God's unreliable, but hear me out. Every interaction we have with people, okay, leaves an impression. Those impressions, they build like credit. Now, we can have good credit or we can have bad credit. And our credit will either make us untouchable or it will make us somebody that's reliable that people will listen to and that people will lend their time and their ears and their thoughts to. And so every interaction that you have is telling the world around you, I'm a reliable person of integrity or I can't be trusted. And if you leave with nothing else today, I want you to leave with this, that God is and always will be reliable. If he tells you that something's going to happen, it's going to happen. It may not always happen in your time. It may not always happen to the best of your liking, but if God says it will happen, it will happen. Let's look at Abraham and Sarah, right? Famous story. He promises Abraham and Sarah, you will have a son. Abraham and Sarah are older than dirt. In their 90s, no son. Sarah says, hey, here's my maidservant. Go have yourself a son. Completely outside of the context of what God had intended for them, they took matters into their own hands and they tried to force the issue. All that led to was despair and heartache for Sarah. She began to hate her maidservant. Her maidservant and Abraham's now son were sent away. And eventually, what God said would happen did what? Happened. They had a son. Too many times we, we try to rush things in our life and it leads us to make mistakes. But know that if God has given you a promise, that promise will be fulfilled. Because if there's anything or anyone in this world that's reliable, it's God. And as Christians, as little Christ, as representations of who He is, if we're showing people that God is not reliable, that Christ is not reliable, then where do we expect them to put their faith? Are we perfect? Of course not. Do we make mistakes? Of course we do. 
I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. People aren't perfect. We know that. As cross-pointers, what do we say? We're imperfect people on a perfect mission. And so luckily for us, and luckily for Rahab, not being perfect people, having those blemishes, making mistakes, having faults, we get to experience grace. Grace flows abundantly, and it's for everyone. That's the third thing we can be sure of if we have a relationship with God, that grace will flow abundantly, and it's for you. It's for you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and the people that aren't here. It's for everyone. If we continue and finish the story of Rahabat, we're going to jump all the way to chapter 6, and we're just going to see if what the, the spies, the Israelites, said would happen would happen, and if what Rahab was promised was promised. Okay, So we're going to look at verses 15 um, through 17, and then we're going to jump and we're going to read 20 through 23. So bear with me. It says, On the seventh day, meaning the Israelites, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city. The city and all that, all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. Verse 20 now. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted in the sound of the trumpet. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in. They took the city, they devoted the city to the Lord, and they destroyed it with the sword. Every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in. They brought out Rahab, her father and her mother and her brothers and her sisters and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Sounds like what they were promised took place. They were dealing with some men of integrity here, but most importantly, Rahab got to experience grace that I guarantee you she had never known. Taken at a young age, devoted to be a tool for men's pleasures in a pagan temple, she experienced grace for the first time of her life and experienced what the love of the Lord was like. This proves two things. One, it proves that grace can come to anybody. And two, that grace was available to all those that were there that day. One of the tough questions that we have to answer as Christians is why would a loving God destroy entire cities? See, but God being the perfect being that He is can't be in a place that's devoted to sin. And time after time in history, we see that when people repent and when they turn, God spares them. And the people knew who they were dealing with. Remember what Rahab said earlier that we know that you're going to take our city. We know that God has devoted the city to you. We heard the story about how He parted the sea for you and how time after time you've just destroyed lands in front of your face. And so the people of Jericho, they could have repented. They could have said, your God will be our God. We, we recognize that He's the one true God. 
and that what he says will take place will take place, and everyone but Rahab turned their backs. And she experienced grace that day. You want to know the wonderful thing about God? He loves you. Not the you that you're going to be, not the you that you want to be, Okay, not the you 15 years from now, but the you that's here sitting right now. And your shortcomings and your imperfections and all the things that you say, I wish I did better, God loves you despite all of that. That's grace. He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die the worst death on a cross to pay for the sins that you and I still commit to this day so that one day we can live in heaven with Him. Why? Because He has prepared a place for us. He has determined that in His house, when we repent, when we experience that grace, when we behave like we have a clue of who Jesus is and our life changes, God has destined a place for us in eternity with Him. Because when God says something's going to happen, it will happen because God is reliable. And you can count on Him. To experience God's grace, all you have to do is ask. I've, said, I've told this story before, but when I was working at, at the work I live now, one of my friends that worked there, she's a teacher at Central High School now, so she has since moved on, but she's a wonderful person. If you're just judging off a character of a person, she's great. She's loving and charismatic and outgoing and friendly to everyone and accepting of everyone, but she has a real problem with faith. She has a real problem with religion, and she has a real problem specifically with Christianity. And even though she was nice and she never meant to be hurtful, she would make snide comments here and there about my faith because she knew I was a pastor. And one of the days we got onto a discussion about religion, which I try not to bring up because I know in a large setting it's not always acceptable in the workplace these days. But as we were having this group discussion that I usually try to have one-on-one, she said, we, were, we got on the subject of sin, and she said, well, isn't all you have to do say you're sorry? And it kind of shut me up. It stung a little bit. kind of took me aback because I thought, ooh, that's rough. How do I answer that? But the answer is yes. Yes, that's literally all you have to do. All you have to do is say that you're sorry, apologize for the sins of your past, and move forward in a different direction. An apology goes an extremely long way. Not just with God, but with people. And so grace is for you. And grace is for your neighbor. And grace is for your enemy. And grace is for those that love you as much as it is for those that hate you. Is our life a reflection of that? As Christians, are we a reflection of that? Does the world around us look at us and say, there's something different about that guy? Or there's something different about that girl? I want to know what it is. They're always positive. They always have a smile on their face. They always tell me to have a great day. They're always asking me if I need anything. They're always asking me if there's anything that they could possibly do. What kind of difference are you making in the world around you to show the world that they have a place, that you're different, 
that they can experience grace, but most importantly, that God is reliable. Because we live in a world of flaky people who say they'll do one thing and then do something else. But God will never do that. Not to you, not to me, not to anybody. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we come to you right now and we just ask that uh, you open our hearts to be the individuals that you have called us to be, to be loving, to be caring, to be representations of who your son is, to tell the world that they are loved and accepted and wanted and that we desire to have them be a part of what we are. Because what we are is imperfect people on a perfect mission, but it's only a perfect mission because you have given us that grace. So God, I pray that that we become tools that can be used in this world to show others that there is love and that there is hope and that admits so much darkness and so much self-centeredness that there's a different way here. That there's a God who's perfect, that there's a God who, who, whose being is perfect, whose personality is perfect, who, who wants what's best for every individual. God, what you say you will do, you do. We thank you for all this and we pray that we will be that what you want us to be. In your son's name I pray, amen.